Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. KMOX and your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, thanks for stopping by. We'll be taking a good gardening stroll shortly, but right now you can call 314 314- 436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. With ideas, questions, comments, or concerns, and a new voice, we'll be answering the phone and producing. Actually, it's a team. Shaylin and James are here because I am so difficult to produce. No. Anyway, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Mr. Kelly, before you take off, yes. you had a week off. I did, almost two. And you look very different with that plaid, man. Yeah, this is old school. Uh, and it's the old uh, San Diego Padres colors, brown and yellow. And uh, Sue bought this, and I said, I like that. I'm going to steal it from her. So I did. <laughs> and, so it's uh, actually hers? It's old school. Well, kind of. She bought it kind of for both of us. Ah. Yeah. And uh, it's kind of old school. It reminds me back in high school when I used to wear blue jeans and plaid flannel shirts all the time. You look very snazzy. My hair's a little shorter, but not a whole lot. (laughs) (laughs) I don't feel like I did in high school. (laughs) I don't feel like I did, but yeah, so... Well, welcome back. Well, thank you. It's good to be back. Certainly. Saturday morning, we get together and have a roundtable discussion about what's impacting your side yard. Oh, that neighbor. Why did they put that extension on their downspout? Oh, it's really ruining my grass over there. Or how about the backyard? How about the front yard? Trying to get a specialty garden space? Do you want a raised bed or just a regular bed or whatever kind of bed? And uh, how are your houseplants doing? Hmm. Actually, walking through the neighborhood, I see some people must not like their houseplants a whole lot because they left them out and they did not survive the cold snaps. What is potting mix? How to improve your soil? Should you be pruning and bringing those prunings inside? I disagree with that. I always see these things that say, well, when you're pruning holly and this blah, 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 you should prune it now and then bring those cuttings inside. It's fine. But I don't like to prune going into wintertime. And since this is the last weekend of fall, we're going into winter. Information, hopefully, that I share with you, my thoughts, orchestrations, and whatever else will help you solidify your options. With the final judgment of any action to be taken is going to be on your shoulders. And by the way, this is your show, and I appreciate you inviting me into your home car or wherever you happen to be listening. 
As I said before, two very important players, Shaylin and James, are here producing, so they're going to be answering the phone, one or the other, and uh, Shaylin's actually behind the big board. Ooh, pressure. Anyway, I'm Mike Miller. I've been hosting the Garden Hotline since 1994. I can come to your home and do a landscape consultation, which I call a walk and talk. You can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com. Homepage has email address and phone number. I do not do any formal designs anymore. I'm just too old to do them. Anyway, let's get moving. Today's Good Gardening Stroll is brought to you by St. Louis Composting. As I said before, falls last weekend. This is it. And uh, always, as the season changes, I take a look around our yard. Starting high, we have the three sugar maples, which wrap around the corner where our house sits. One has been under stress for quite a while, and it's already started to lose some pretty good-sized branches, probably like four, three to four-inch branches. And then even worse, adding to its problems, is that's right where our gas line is. So Spire had to cut a big bunch of the root system that's in between the sidewalk and street and then up uh, our yard, too, uh, so they could put a new gas line in. So. That tree, hmm, we'll see how it looks when it comes out of wintertime. And after they did this, they threw down the seed and straw scenario, the one that I always say, don't bother. It's not going to work. So I'm watching this and see. So maybe I'll find out that I don't really know what I'm talking about. Hmm. The other two sugar maples are really doing pretty good. Uh, the lawn on the west side, that's the front yard, looks out over Christie Park. And uh, it's not in bad shape. There's some broadleaf weeds, but uh, it's mainly chickweed. And I use minimal amount, if any, herbicides at all to control weeds, pre-emergence or not, because I like to kind of see what they're going to do, how fast they grow and everything else. So I kind of use my own landscape as an experimental circumstance. My Leland cypress, one that I had in a pot for probably 10 years when we lived in Soulard, when we moved to South City, I put it in the ground, and now it's reached its pretty much uh, maximum height, which is about 20 feet or so. I've limbed it up, and uh, it, does, it looks pretty good. I limbed it up because I wanted to have some stuff that I could grow underneath it and also just seeing underneath it. Uh, it's nice to see branches going all the way to the ground, but hmm. and right next to it is a boxwood. That duet is really planted with all kinds of other stuff around it, sedums and ferns and miscellaneous. Opposite side of the front door, there's going to be a mugo-pine-boxwood combination. They're very harmonic with each other. Underneath them, there's some purple coral bells, hostas, Japanese painted fern, and all kinds of other things as well. So there's main ground cover, sedum acre, which is gold moss, and then I have a lot of yellow creeping Jenny also. I'll tell you, the thing that has surprised me most this year is the sweet alyssum I have. It's still in flower, even though it has been in the 20s. And a thermostat we have in the backyard showed it was actually below 20. And this sweet alyssum is still going. I mean, it hasn't, it's not laying down or anything. So I'm going to be real interested to see how that goes. I've got pots all over the place, and most of them are planted with spring bulbs, which I got from uh, Brightside St. Louis. And then on top of those, the potting mix and the bulbs, I have various Christmas ornaments or holiday season ornaments and pine cones as well. 
seasonal lighting streaks all over the place here and there and everywhere. And I put seasonal lights inside of gazing balls, too. So I just, you know, I do some goofball stuff. And one of our favorite things is when we were in Kansas City about five years ago, we were in Country Club Plaza, and uh, they were selling the band. And we were there in fifth, uh, 2015. So they were selling this, uh, this uh, street-side banners from 2014. So we got one, and that's in front of our house right now. Also, I have the word peace, P-E-A-C-E, with a dove in it on the fence. And it's just uh, the last week in winter. No, this isn't the last week of winter, is it? No, it's the last week of fall. And the opening bell is going to happen on Monday. So if you have any questions, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Back after these messages. Get home fast and informed. Total Information PM starts weekdays at 4 on St. Louis's News Radio, KMOX and KMOX.com. Nice seasonal music and nice season out there, 45 degrees, so it's a good opportunity to get out there and do some work in your yard. If you're wondering what you should be doing or should not be doing, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. We've got phone lines open. Uh, One thing, as we know, we live in a very rural area, city surrounded by all kinds of different stuff, and deer can be problematic in lots of different situations. And... uh, Planting deer-resistant plants is a good way to deter or deter the deer from coming into your home landscape. But if things are scarce, they're going to eat things that they don't even really like. It's kind of like people. You, if you're really, really hungry, you might eat something that you don't really care for. And trees and shrubs that are generally unpalatable for deer, they just go ahead and say, I'm going to have some of that anyway. In established landscapes, deer protection is challenging. Temporary solutions include placing wire cages around plants, securing them so the deer won't push them over or out of the way or anything else. Also, moving visual devices like streamers, flashy kind of, even aluminum pie pans, I've seen those being used, uh, plates and whirly gigs and all that other kind of stuff. It discourages the deer temporarily. But soon the deer realize, hmm, that's not all that big of a deal. I'll just walk right past it. There's also some inexpensive repellents that you might consider. An open weave bag filled with human hair. Now, I don't know where you're going to get your human hair. I guess you go to a barber shop and say, can I sweep your floor for you? And then I, you put it in a bag and take it home and then hang it around the plants that you're trying to keep the deer away from. Also, which is the thing I generally recommend, is uh, scented soaps. So Irish Spring Soap, which is really strong, very pungent. It stays fairly consistent, and it will keep the deer away. They, For some reason, they don't get all of a sudden go, oh, this is not really all that bad. It, I guess it burns their eyes and nose both, and that's why it keeps them away. But... Uh, uh, there's all kinds of other things, too. You can place a mixture in a container in a sunny spot and uh, put some eggs in it. Eggs, 20% eggs and 80% water. All of a sudden, it'll become putrid smelling, and the deer are going to go, ooh, rosemary and peppermint. That oil from those things 
can cause a problem with the deer as well. Hot sauce, hmm, I don't know, capsicum. But uh, anyway, it can be sprayed on plants, but anything like that. And commercial products as well, any of those uh, deterrents or repellents or anything really have to be reapplied over and over and over again. So they usually last for about two weeks before another application is needed. So anyway, let's go. And our first call is going to be from Afton, and it's going to be from Sherry. Sherry, how are you today? Uh, No, it's Jerry. Oh, Jerry. Yes. Uh, I was calling about we have a Bartlett pear tree. Uh, freestone peach tree and a plum tree and I'm trying to find out what is causing the fruit rots before it ever uh, we get some fruit that you know forms and we're able to eat but it it rots on the um, the tree while it's uh, growing do can you tell me what causes that yeah there's a couple different types of fungus are you spraying any kind of fungicide on your trees at all no yeah I would just routinely, when the foliage starts coming out in the springtime, start applying a fungicide, and then basically about every two to three weeks, reapply a fungicide, and that should take care of the problem. Oh, okay. Well, thank you so much. Enjoy your program. Listen every Saturday. Well, thank you for having me on your show. So, yeah, there's, uh, I mean, there's all kinds of problems, and uh, it's unfortunate with the fruit trees but uh, you really have to kind of stay up on top of it. Other things that uh, you need to be thinking about this time of year is uh, if you have leftover chemicals, in other words, herbicides, fungicides, fertilizers, anything at all that you're storing for the wintertime, if they're granulars, you've got to keep them up off the uh, garage floor and keep them in a dry location. The reason why I want you to keep them off the garage floor is sometimes the floors get cold And that coldness can create a humidity inside the bag or the container they're in, and that could be problematic as well. Also, any of your liquids, keep them from freezing. And uh, obviously keep them out of the reach of children and pets. Uh, Ornamentals, dead plant debris, stay on top of it because it's amazing how many problems can be created by, and I should have probably told Sherry or Jerry this too, Anytime that you have problems with anything, whether it's foliage, fruit, or anything else, make sure that you clean that up as the fruit falls or take it off the tree or whatever it happens to be. Don't just leave it lie on the ground because it can reinfect your plant material. You go, well, how would that happen? Well, something as simple as an insect could walk on some rotted fruit that's on the ground and get it on its feet, paws, or whatever you want to call them, and then fly up and impact your your trees again. So that's you got to keep everything clean. You always think, well, the outdoors doesn't really need to be that clean, but that's not really the case. It should be you know kept clean. How are your house plants doing? Um, it's really been a wild time, as I said before. I've seen people in the neighborhood who just kind of said, well. I don't really have a place for this you know, plant anymore, so they just left it out and let it froze, <laughs> let it freeze rather. And so consequently, they did. And so, but if you've got your house plants, use room temperature water when you water your plant material. Don't overwater. And this time of year, unless your plants are, fer- are flowering, do not fertilize because fertilizing during, the, let's say, the off-growing season it can be detrimental. But flowering really stresses out the plant material a lot. 
So consequently, you do want to fertilize, but half label rate is the best thing that you can do. As I said before, make sure that the water that you do water your plants with is at room temperature or even a little bit warmer. When I water mine, actually, I have it more warm than at room temperature. Orchids and things like that, uh, Phalaenopsis, uh, Christmas cactus, will benefit from cooler temperatures. So actually close to a window that is not, which we haven't had really a cold spell enough where you're going to have frost on the inside of your windows, or if you have good quality windows, newer windows, you're not going to get that frost anyway. But they seem to do better when there's cooler temperatures as opposed to, and definitely keep pretty much anything away from any kind of heat vent. If you've just purchased an amaryllis, follow the instructions on the packaging and anticipate the flowering to occur in about four to six weeks. So if you're going to give uh, amaryllis to somebody for a, let's say, Christmas present, uh, tell them, yes, go ahead and start watering, follow all the instructions, and just realize the flower stalk's going to come up out of the middle of the bulb, but it's going to be four to six weeks before that flower is going to be open. And after that, then you're going to start fertilizing your amaryllis again at about half label rates, the best thing you can do. Um, Outside, Mulching your azaleas, your rhododendrons, your broadleaf evergreens with a, a acidic organic material is by far the best thing to do. And definitely keep anything away from it as far as like rock mulch, which would be rock. You can use rock mulch, but it's got to be neutral rocks, not limestone, which has an alkaline pH. So just be really, really careful. And uh, head down to your basement or wherever you have them stored and start checking, because they've probably been out of the ground for about a month, your summer bulbs, your dahlias, your gladiolas and things like that, your elephant ears, your cannas. Check them. And if you feel, I mean, literally pick them up. You probably have them in paper bags wrapped in newspaper. But just take a look at them about once a month and make sure that they're not soft. Once they start getting soft, then discard them because they could, you know, create a bad circumstance for the other ones that are not, let's say, headed downhill. So that's really important for you to do. As I said before, chickweed is a main broadleaf weed in my lawn. But this time of year, there's all kinds of broadleaf weeds. The annual weeds, which were the ones that, uh, you know, started off last August, and will continue growing until the weather warms up in the springtime, like henbit, dead nettle, chickweed, annual bluegrass. Uh, there's a t- couple clovers, uh, shepherd's purse. Those are going to, you know, I mean, it's just amazing how fast they can actually grow. I was watching one uh, chickweed that had germinated, and within four days, it had elongated to about six inches. And as it elongates, then it's, it's, they're not really flowering yet, but they're going to start flowering again. And then what they do is they drop the seed after they flower, and that seed just lays there for the entire summertime until next August, and that's when it's going to start germinating. So just be really careful and conscious of that. And then just realize that it's a ways off, spring, you know, obviously spring, because this is the last weekend of fall, but... Uh, Get some idea of your square footage of your lawn area or your garden spaces or things like that so you can be ready. You don't have to purchase them yet, but so you can get a pre-emergent. 
And that's really important because when the yellow forsythia is in bloom next spring, that's when you're going to put the pre-emergent down for your warm season annual weeds, which include ragweed, purslane, spurge, knotweed, uh, lamb's quarter, black medic, uh, carpetweed, crabgrass, barnyard grass, goosegrass, foxtail, and violets. And things like uh, uh, all kinds of other weeds, too. Just, they're just, it's, it's a real nightmare. You're, and don't think just because you got rid of the weeds one year that you're not going to have a problem the next year. So, again, if you do have any questions or concerns, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Mike Miller will be back after these messages. Ready for a doubleheader sports Sunday on KMOX. First up, it's the Chiefs and Saints. Touchdown, Kansas City! Pre-game at 2, kickoff 325. Then it's Billikens basketball as they take on Minnesota MBB. Pre-game 715, tip-off 730. The Chiefs, the Billikens, on America's Sports Voice, KMOX. song is without any vocals anyway this is a perfect time of year to do some soil testing so taking your soil samples and sending them to the university of missouri is the best thing you can do to stop making problems or even if you have a lawn service get that soil test done and share that information with them many of the lawn service or some of the lawn services will take samples themselves and have them sent off because they want you to have the best possible lawn. Because lawn here is very, very difficult. Because, I mean, just look at what our weather's been like in these last two weeks. It was 20 the other day. And now it's going to be, you know, tomorrow's going to be 50. I don't know if it's going to get up to 50 today. But it, not too long ago, it was so nice. You didn't even have to wear a coat of any type outside. And also it takes the guesswork out of any kind of fertilization and everything else. So getting a soil test done this time of year is a smart thing to do. Let's head to the phones and let's go over to Paul's yard. Hi, Paul. Yes, uh, Dave. Welcome. Thank you for taking my call. I've got a privet hedge in the backyard. It's like three and a half foot tall, and I'd like to cut it back to about two foot. Do you think that worked or do you think it would kill them? No, no, you should be fine. Also, when you do prune your privet or anybody that prunes any kind of hedge, make sure that you just don't cut it off at the top because what's going to happen then is the top is going to get wider than the bottom. That's going to shadow the bottom, and then you're going to end up with just sort of skeletized stems with just leaves at more or less the top. So kind of taper the sides as well as cutting down the top of it. Okay. And when should I do that? When would be the best time to do that? Well, I, you know, personally, I don't like to prune going into wintertime, and we are going into wintertime very soon, another two days. But uh, I would wait and probably do it sometime after, oh, Valentine's Day, before the Ides of March, something in that time frame. Oh, okay. Thank you very much. Certainly. And again, this, you know, this pruning is for evergreen hedges and everything else. So often I see them, and they're really skinny at the bottom and very wide at the top. And then, I mean, they drop needles because there's no light getting down there, and that's kind of what the problem is. Let's go and head over to Dennis's yard. Hi, Dennis. How are you? Hello? Hi. Yeah, uh, I would like to know if 
is it too late to transplant a Rosa Sharon bush or tree? Uh, you're really on the cusp because we don't, as you know, we don't know what our weather is going to be like. You're disrupting the entire feeding root system when you transplant it. So if it can't get its root system acclimated, the ground is still kind of, it's still pretty warm. So you might be okay. But, uh, if you're going to, if you can do it within the next week or so, I'd say, yes, go ahead and do it. If you're going to have to wait until after the first of the year, I would say, no, don't do it. Okay. See what I've got? I've got a Rosa Sharon bush, and this one has sprouted up about, I guess, four foot over from the trunk of the big one. And it's really just a tall, it's been there for quite a few years, but it's just a tall, you know, it hasn't really branched out much or anything. And I had this other uh, over on the other side of the yard, I'm not sure what it was, but it it, kind of, maybe, you know, it looks like a Rosa Sharon kind. It's got them same color of flowers. But it's been slowly, uh, every year it's just drier. And year before last, it really didn't get many blooms on it. And there was a whole big hunk of it that was all rotted out. And I tore that out. And then this summer, it had a few more blooms, but it's still something wrong. Anyway, I'm thinking I just want to dig that out and get rid of it and transplant this Rosa Sharon tree in that same spot. Now, um, is the one that you're transplanting, is this just a single stem coming up out of the ground, or does it have any kind of branching at all? Uh, yeah, it's just really a single stem. It doesn't, uh, it's not really branched out at all, and it's it's a tall, like, I guess about five or six feet tall. Actually. Right. Uh, you can transplant it, but what it is, it's gonna, it's a sucker growth off the root system of the mother plant, so in other words, the one that's close by. So I'm not sure if it has adequate roots to be able to be transplanted. You could give it a try if you want to, but just realize probably the roots that it's actually getting fed by is from the original mother plant as opposed to being able to produce its own roots. That's not to say it won't have some roots, but if you're going to have, you know, if you want to give this a try, what you need to do is the day before you dig it up is make sure it's really well watered, Go out to since it's single stem, make uh, the probably the root ball about a foot. So in other words, six inches off each side of the single stem, yeah. and about uh, eight inches or so deep. Any deeper is not going to make much difference at all. And just have the area that you're going to move it to. Hopefully, it's going to be a sunny location because they do much better in the sun than even yeah. in part shade. And uh, just kind of keep your fingers crossed. Sounds like it would be best to wait till spring. Or, yeah. Well, is well even in time sp- to do it or fall. Well, fall is the ideal time. Spring is not so good for transplanting things or even installing plant material. Even though we're all intoxicated by spring because we're so bored yeah. with winter, uh, the ground is really cold. So you know, cold ground does not encourage root system establishment. There's nothing wrong with doing you know planting in the springtime. Just realize it can be a little bit tougher on the plant material, and especially if it's a transplant as opposed to a plant that you're buying from a retail garden center who is in a pot or it's in a bald and burlap or whatever it happens to be, and has a well-established root system. Okay. So just make sure I get a good ball of root and right. make sure the ground is warm. Right. Okay. Thank you. Yep, that's ideal. Appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Bye. And from Dennis's yard, we're going to go over to Nancy's. Hi, Nancy. Bought a house recently in Columbia, Illinois. 
And the front yard is about half soysia and half fescue. So first of all, if this were your yard, what grass would you keep? And then how would you get rid of the other grass? <laughs> uh, it's a personal choice. Some people don't like the warm season grasses like the zoysia because during the wintertime they're tan. As opposed to the cool season lawns like fescues or bluegrasses, during the wintertime they're vibrant green and they don't ever really go totally ugly, dormant, let's say tan like the zoysia does. So that's kind of the, I guess, the determining factor on I don't mind personally the tan, you know, coloration of the zoysia. I have zoysia in my yard in the wintertime because everything else kind of looks anyway. So what difference does it make? It's not going to make that much difference. I'm not going to look out on a bluegrass or on a fescue lawn and say, whoa, I'm not going to party on due to that. But uh, it's a personal choice more so than anything else. And this fertilizing and everything else is completely different depending upon which type you choose. If you decide you want to, then you're just going to probably have to kill off the other one. So in other words, if you decide you want to keep the fescue, then you're going to have to wait until the weather warms up and then go after the zoysia with uh, uh, probably, a, I would use, personally use Roundup, but some people don't like to use Roundup because of the problems inherent from overuse of it in certain areas in the country. But uh, then you're going to have to reestablish your lawn. And I wouldn't kill the zoysia off until we actually, you know, get into probably maybe August or so, probably late July, early August, kill the zoysia off because that's going to be the time right after that, after it dies entirely, you get the soil prepared. That's going to be the best time of year that you can put down either sod for fescue or grass seed for fescue. Okay, if I were to keep the zoysia, is do I can can I buy zoysia seed or do I have to do it like a side to get it to spread over to where I killed the fescue? Yeah, zoysia seed is pretty bogus. I've never really known of any circumstance where it's actually been very effective at all. Now there are okay. people over the years that have called in and said I've used zoysia seed. I don't even know where to get it. Retailed garden centers just don't sell it, so it's going to take sod. Or what okay, you can that's... do is, you know, get a plugger, which is something that you would take plugs. In other words, something about the size of a little bit bigger than a shot glass uh, out of your zoysia. You plug it, and then you move it to the location where the uh, fescue was. Okay. Or that you can good. you can buy you know, you can buy these plugs and trays at garden centers too. You don't have to buy a big piece of sod and cut it up or anything else. Okay, that sounds good. Oh, I mean, one more quick question: You advertise doing soil testing. Can you tell me real quick how I would do that? Uh, basically, what you're going to do is decide where you want to have the soil tested and take you know, let's say if it's in your front yard, you're going to take soil right. samples from various locations in your front yard. You're going to make sure that the tool you're using is clean. So, in other words, clean it with be, you know, with bleach or anything else. You're going to go below whatever kind of plant material there is and get pure soil, and you're going to put it in a plastic bag, and you probably want to get enough to, uh, let's say, fill a pretty good-sized Ziploc bag, and then you're going to send it to the University of Missouri or there's private companies. I see you probably live in... Uh, Illinois, so there's uh, private companies in Belleville that will do soil testing too. So that's okay. what's you know that's what's important is getting it. Don't just take it out of one area. Take plugs, little let's say the size of an ice cream scoop, 
you know, from various locations across your, you know, whatever area you want to be tested. Okay, and I can just mix those all in the one bag then? Exactly. Okay, that sounds great. I'll try that then first. Thank you so much. Certainly. Bye. And now let's head over to Mike's yard. Hi, Mike. Morning. Um, what do you know about the um, the scape bug that it goes on, you know, trees? And um, I was wondering if it, it can transfer from tree to tree. Scape? I don't know scape. I don't know that oh, bug. Yeah, it's it's a little red bug. Um, if you look it up on Missouri Department of Agriculture, you'll find it or whatever. But And then it, um, I actually had another question, too. Um, a little more of a comment. Have you ever read Michael Pollan's book, Second Nature? Uh, it's a really good book, and it kind of goes into maybe weeds aren't as bad as you think because I heard you kind of talking earlier about people can have weeds in their yard. It's not the end of the world. Absolutely. Well, I always know? say my father, I grew up in Ellisville. We almost had an acre yard. He said if it's green, it's good. We never yes. applied any kind of herbicide of any type in our yard whatsoever. So it's a yes. personal choice as much as anything. And, uh, you know, that's basically, that was his philosophy with it. And the skate that, bug, is this, book is about, yeah. was the oh, skate sorry. bug uh, like a spider mite? Is that what it's like? Yeah, it's like a little red. Um, there's different, I think there's different varieties of it, but it's a, it, it lives, it's like lives on the host plant. Right, and you, I think you can you can treat it. I, I guess I'm putting my foot in my mouth, but you can treat it with something. Right. <laughs> uh, but I was just curious what you knew about that. I mean, maybe you can look it up and talk about it next week or something. Yeah, uh, basically, any kind of small insect, like spider mice or things like that, are transferred or whatever by the winds. So that's where they become trouble. Oh, okay. Okay. So I'll I'll um yeah I'll listen next week but yeah that Michael Pollan books are really good he he it's about a, he wrote it about ten years ago but he really gets into like um just natural landscaping and and thinking about it from a different perspective right. your, your yard so yeah All right well great thanks okay. thanks bye Mike Miller K M O S Garden Hotline back after these messages welcome back to the St Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. We've got to make sure that we get that Christmas music in. I'm sorry I started too soon. Anyway, we've got a few more minutes before we go to the top of the hour news. Let's head over to Susan's yard. Hi, Susan. A new property with rose bushes, I was told to cut them back to a foot. I don't know how to do it or when to do it. Uh, what type of roses are they? Are they shrub roses or are they hybrid teas, grandiflores? Do you know which type? I have no idea. How many stems do they have coming up out of the ground? I have no. Huh, seven or eight. Seven or eight? I mean, it's like in the front of the property, it's like a hedge of roses, and in the back, they're shorter roses. Yeah, it's probably, you don't necessarily need to cut them now. If you want to, you can certainly cut them. But to cut them, if they're shrub roses and to cut them, how t- do you have any idea how tall they are? Are they waist high? No, um, I would uh, say two, two and a half feet, maybe. Two and a half feet. <laughs> so anyway, uh, to, I would say just leave them alone. Personally, 
Since Thank you're you just so moving much. into this, if you start cutting things and you don't even know what's going to happen, I would say wait until next year when the new growth comes out and just cut any stems or you know that don't have any kind of leaves coming out at all. Cut those all the way back to where they intersect the next biggest stem and just kind of get used to the whole system first. Realize roses like to be fertilized. So go to your favorite garden center and get some rose fertilizer. Get it specifically for roses and start applying it, uh, let's say, uh, around the 1st of May and feed them every month all the way through September. Okay. And you water them also? Oh, yes. If we have extreme, if we have periods of where there is no rain, you should do some watering, yes. And, okay. you, and if with the fertilizer, too, you should water the fertilizer in. I'm assuming you, you can get liquid fertilizer, but if you get a granular type, make sure that it's watered in. And if there's mulch on the top of the rose uh, root systems or crowns, pull the mulch back before you put the fertilizer down, then put the mulch back, and then water. Thank you so much. Have a safe, healthy New Year. Well, same to you. And, okay. Uh, Bye-bye. Yeah, it's a little tough when you inherit something that you're not exactly sure what it is. I'd say you're better off to kind of just relax, take it easy, and see what happens. They may be great without any kind of pruning at all, but whoever said to prune them back to a foot, I don't know why they were telling you that unless there were previous owners that were saying that. Maybe they've historically done that, but it doesn't necessarily have to be done and especially right at first while you're learning the whole process. And you haven't really gotten that much, you haven't become that familiar with the landscape in general, and certainly without with the roses, because if you've got roses in two different locations, they're probably shrub roses in the front. They may be hybrid teas, grandiflores, floribundas, let's say the classic type roses in the back. So consequently, the treatment is pretty much the same but pruning and everything else is very different. So if there are only three stems coming up out of the ground, like the ones in the back, let's say that that's the case, uh, those are uh, hybrid roses, and those are the ones that you're going to you really should put a lot of mulch over the top of them, six or eight inches. But uh, since you're not really sure what they are, I'd say just leave things alone. Mike Miller, KMOS Garden Hotline, back after the news. KMOX and your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, it is the tip of the trial hour, and I'll be giving the tip of the trial shortly, but right now you can call 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120 with your ideas, questions, concerns, or comments. we got phone lines open, so... You could be first in line. Mr. Kelly, before you take off, yes. with all this COVID stuff and everything else, have you been tested? No, I have not. Oh. Nope, not yet. So are you, are you going to? Uh, if I had to, I would. You know, I've had to <laughs> quarantine a couple of times because somebody who knew somebody who knew somebody had it type of thing, you know? Right. But uh, no, so far I haven't had to, and uh, I plan on staying safe so I don't have to. But, you know, you never know. You get out and about and I know. go to work, and you, you, you just don't know. Exactly. You know? And it's such so, a screwy world. Oh, man. Everything is so different. Yes. You know, and it's just like, well, just keep going. Keep going. There is a light at the end of the tunnel. Have you? <laughs> no, I haven't. Yeah. Tracy has. but has she? Uh, Yeah. Yeah. So she's going to get another one. She's had the quick test or whatever, rapid test, which mm-hmm. is 
15 minutes or so. Right. And then the other one is like 72 hours. So yeah. She's scheduled, I think, on Monday to get the other is one. Is she? Okay. Yeah, she's, got, she's had a high fever the last couple of days. Ooh, so, okay. Yeah. yeah. I know you're afraid to sneeze. Every time you <laughs> sneeze or cough, everybody looks at you. And you're like, oh, no. Right. Yeah. We were going to go out and eat, and uh, she's, you know, she's coughing, so we had to sort of like... We better not do that. People yeah. are going to go. <laughs> it, it's strange times, that's for sure. Absolutely. So be safe. Yes, you too. And folks, this is the tip of the trial hour, and thanks for having me on your show. We can discuss plant selection, cares for, ups and downs, and all around pansies. The pansies are still looking pretty darn good as long as people took care of them and watered them. Your bulbs, you've, I mean, I've seen some actually t- tulip bulbs that I have in pots starting to break the surface of the potting mix. So I was a little bit surprised usually, but it's kind of every year the weather's going to be a little bit different. Your edibles, your lettuces and things like that, your cool season edibles, ground covers, houseplants, lawns, perennials, roses, trees, shrub, vines, or water gardens. I'll share my thoughts, but please remember my answers, comments, and opinions is not the only garden path to take, but strictly offered for you to consider. And Shailene is across the big board. She's running everything. So when you call, she just needs to know your first name and maybe where you're calling from. That's about it. And James is here to make sure that I don't do anything I should not be doing. And uh, I do landscape consulting, which I call a walk and talk. You can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com, the homepage. That's where my email address and phone number is. Tip of the Trowel is a special recognition for individual group or situation that's made an impression on me and is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. I'm sure these groups are not meeting, but there are so many different plant societies. I don't know if they're having virtual meetings or anything you know like that right now, but the, the Gardeners of Florissant, Gardeners of St. Charles County, the Garden Society of Wildwood, the Gateway Rock Garden Society, the Gateway West Jesnerian Society, uh, Greater St. Louis Daffodil Society, they all get tip of the trowel. I mean, these people that are in these groups and societies and stuff like that, they are so knowledgeable. The Orchid Society, Hazelwood Garden Club, but you can... When everything kind of gets back to normal and they start meeting again, if you have any kind of interest at any kind of plant material, more than likely there's going to be a society or a group or a club or whatever that the people that you know are in it, are they've become experts over the years of sharing knowledge and everything else. And that's the neat thing about all these groups is they love to share knowledge because they want to you to have the greatest success you possibly can with the plant material. So they get a tip of the trowel, and I'm pr- pretty sure they're probably not meeting, but maybe they are, you know, having virtual meetings. So it would be something to kind of check out on your own. Let's see if we can get a call or so in before we take a break. Let's go over to Ryan's yard. Hi, Ryan. Hey, Ryan, are you there? Yeah, I got a question. Um, I bought uh, for my grandson. A, a big bag of acorns and because there seems to be like a record number of squirrels in my yard and everything. And I'm trying to figure out why there's so many squirrels. Am I at risk of having a little trees popping up? Because he likes just throwing these acorns out by the handful trying to feed the squirrels. <laughs> well, there, 
I mean, they're not going to, let's say, germinate if they're just laying on the top of the surface. So I wouldn't be over, you know, overly concerned with that. And probably it depends upon where did you get these acorns? Uh, God, I can't even remember. I've had them for about a week and a half now. I think I bought them at a, like a garden supply place. So I don't, I'm trying to think if it was a Walmart or I went to get them. They were somewhere I can't really recall. But, well, you know, it's just unreal how many squirrels are out here. I'm like, good God, you know, this is unbelievable. Right. So, no, I mean, that you're fine with that. And there are all kinds of oaks. And a lot of the oaks, these acorns might not even be from a tree that's hardy here. Mm-hmm. So then you okay. wouldn't have to worry about that seed germinating at all. But the acorns okay. in general, you know, have to be, let's say, picked up by a squirrel, you know, or whatever kind of animal, then actually a hole dug by them, and then the acorn dropped down in there because they're smart enough to know whether well, they've got to self-perpetuate these particular trees, and that's why they do this. But just oh, laying on okay. top of the surface, the chances of it germinating and actually Getting established is going to be very, very minimal at best if they're even hardy varieties. Okay. The, the reason I ask is I've, I've seen squirrels, you know, digging little holes and putting them in the hole and, you know, patting them over. And I'm thinking, well, I don't know if they're just storing them for wintertime food or what the heck they're doing. I'm like, gosh. <laughs> now, some people say, well, the squirrels can remember where they buried an acorn. Hmm, no. That's a little bit uh, way out there, to be honest yeah. with you. That's the same so. thing as humans remember where they put things. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. Thank you for the information. I appreciate it. Sure. My pleasure. And let's head over to Carol's yard. Hi, Carol. Hi, uh, Mike. Yes. I have an orchid that um, bloomed this fall. Um, I was very pleased because it was the second year. Uh, but I can't remember whether I'm supposed to cut those bloom stalks off for the next time it blooms. Um, could you help me on that? Yeah, you can cut the flower stalk off. If the flowers are all finished and everything else, it's just going to basically evaporate on its own or dehydrate. So, yeah, you might as well cut it off and uh, probably head out to your favorite garden center and you know, an all-purpose garden center and get some orchid food and look about, uh, you know, about, you know, using some orchid food on it. Okay. Thank you very much. Have a wonderful holiday. You do the very same thing. Mike Miller, K. M. Morris Garden Hotline. If you have any questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Back after these messages. Listening to KMOX has never been easier. Siri, play KMOX. Yes, folks, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. How about your Christmas tree? Do you have an artificial tree? Did you happen to get a a live tree that's a cut tree? Or were you one of the people that gets the bald and burlap tree? Uh, Growing up, the people across the street from us, the Harmons, they always had a live tree. They ended up planting them in their yard, and actually most of them did quite well. But I'll tell you what, having that big tub in their living room, because they always got them about six or seven feet high, the thing must have, the root ball must have weighed who knows how much, but a lot. So I don't know if people still do that or not. If they get a live tree, they actually just leave it outside and put it in a pot outside and decorate it outside, or if people bring it in, because you can only leave 
a live tree, in other words, one that still has its root system. It's not one that's been cut off uh, in your house for a relatively limited amount of time. So um, there's all kinds of different ways to address it. Actually, we were in Miami a few years ago, probably 10 years or so ago, and we a hotel we stayed at, had they had Christmas trees, and they were chrome. And so we decided, we asked them if we could buy one of them, and they said yes. So we actually have a chrome tree ourselves. And then we have evergreens outside that we put lights on outside. So let's head right now to South County and see what's going on with Colleen. Colleen, how are you? that's uh, dipped in wax, the bulb is dipped in wax, and you're supposed to just set it on the shelf near the sun, and it's starting to bloom. I just wondered if you knew anything about that or could tell me what to do with it later on, if I can plant it eventually. Well, I missed the first part of it. What kind of bulb is it? Oh, amaryllis. Okay. Yeah, just dipped in wax. Uh, Basically, the wax is going to probably, it's probably a biodegradable wax. So uh, if you want to, you know, put it in a pot and grow it, that's perfect. After it finishes flowering, you're going to start to see some foliage come out, and probably there's going to be any place between uh, four to six and maybe eight, depending upon the size of the bulb, leaves, and you're just going to grow those leaves basically all the way until next September. Then you're going to cut them off, then let it go through a dormant period, and then by next year, then it'll be flowering again. Oh, okay. So then I can just leave it in the wax and put it in ground, right? Yeah. Not, oh. n- well, not in the ground outside. Uh, I mean, uh, yeah, in a pot. Uh-huh. Yeah, in yeah. potting mix, right. Yeah, I didn't know if I had to peel the wax off or not. No. So, yeah, okay. That'd be crazy. Well, I'd never seen this before, so thank you very much. Certainly, my pleasure. Okay, thanks. Bye. And now let's head over to Linda's yard. Hi, Linda. Yeah, hi. Uh, we just recently moved to Bowling Green from Illinois, um, and we need some kind of a semi-fast-growing um, evergreen type. I, we don't see a lot of, uh, like a pine tree or, you know, something to as like a, a privacy thing. How much width space do you have? Oh, a lot. So probably the fastest-growing one is going to be a green giant arborvitae. Okay. Now, it's going to get pretty big. It's going to get 20-plus feet tall. But it should be, once it gets established, which probably may take one or two years, it should be putting out about a foot of growth every year. Oh, great. And so... Green giant arborvitae. How wide do they get? uh, Probably, let's say, maybe 15, maybe 16 feet. So probably what you're going to do, if you're trying to create a hedge or a border... Yeah. Don't, don't plant them in a straight line. Plant them in a zigzag shape and okay. put them, make them about uh, six to eight feet of, you know, apart. Okay. Where would be a good place to get these? Does it have to be a mail order? Um, I, I thought Stark sold things, but then I'm, uh, the gal I worked with said, no, they haven't done that in years. That they ship everything. They ship everything. Well, I'm surprised. Well,. You can't get them online. You can't really buy them online. So um, Stark Brothers, are. she's saying they don't sell anymore? Yeah. She said they ship everything. You can't just walk in there and buy something. Well, I would go online and just check to make sure. Because okay. most of the garden centers, you know, even if they're ones... Now, I don't know exactly where Bowling Green is. Uh, it's up... Oh, it's up north. It's like half hour from Hannibal. Oh, half hour north of Hannibal? No, no, south. South. Okay. 
Well, it's half hour north of Troy. Okay. Uh, basically, maybe uh, try Frisella Nursery, which is out in Defiance. Uh, okay. Okay. Yeah, I know that area, too. Okay. okay. So it's a green giant arborvitae. Right. Okay. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Certainly. My pleasure. Okay. And, bye-bye. And now let's see. Where should we go? Let's go over to Jane's yard. Hi, Jane. Good morning. Hi. I had a I had a question about yard cleanup. I thought you were saying something right at the beginning of the show I missed. We have a house in a rural area where there's really no grass. It's a lake property. So there's tons and tons of trees and tons and tons of leaves, oak leaves, hickory leaves. And I thought you were talking about generally it being more positive to clean that up. But I've also heard there's no grass underneath it. It's really just gravel you know, on a sloping hill. Mm-hmm. But I've also heard some people talk about that sometimes leaving that stuff down is better for, like, honeybees and things. I thought you were talking about insects spreading stuff, and I don't know if it's any better for pollinators or if you have any thoughts on that. Leaves Again, there's on. No, yeah. Leaves there's no grass on. to kill underneath. Right. Leaves on the ground have nothing to do with bees. I don't know what they, you know, why somebody would think that. That's nothing to pollinate. So, I mean, in that circumstance, you don't need to clean them up. I'm talking about people who have lawns underneath. That's, you know, if you get a big pile of leaves, you know, either because of the wind or whatever it happens to be, uh, the humidity gets really high, then you get fungus problems in your lawn. But in a circumstance like yours, which is a rural, kind of in the woods, I wouldn't even bother doing anything with it. But it has nothing to do with the bees whatsoever. Okay. I think they said what I read on one uh, website was that it helps create an environment for them for next spring, not that it would help over them. Wow. I don't know what what environment they would have. But anyway, it doesn't matter. Okay. But you're not worried about it getting cleaned up. No, not at all. (laughs) Appreciate your show. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Thanks for having me on your show. Let's go over to Barry's now. Hi, Barry. Hello. Hello. Hey, I want to tell you about a quick uh, Christmas tree planting story. Okay. Years ago, probably early to mid-90s, I'd moved into a house in Ballin. And so I made good friends with a guy up at Ballin Nursery. Used to be behind a Chevy dealer there. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I, I bought a real, about a five-foot-tall pine tree. And he started giving me some instructions. And I said, I got this. I'll dig a hole. It's not a big deal. So, of course, you know what happened, right? You dug the hole too deep? No, I dug the hole, but I didn't do it right. I didn't. The, the tree was too low in the ground. Oh. All the things that weren't supposed to do, I did. So, of course, the tree didn't make it. Right. So the next year, I went back, said, okay, tell me exactly how to do it. So he told me how to do it. I put some rock in and made sure the tree wasn't too low. Today, that tree is about 25 feet tall or more. It's a white pine. It does really well. Sounds perfect. So the moral of the story is if people don't listen to you, which they should, (laughs) they should at least listen to people that they're dealing with, with the people that really know know this stuff. Right. But we get in a hurry sometimes, and we just, we'll do it, you know, just get out of my way. Right. And a lot of times people will dig a hole for a tree, and they think that the tree, the top of the root ball, should be level with the ground, which is, you know, fine. But what happens is... The area underneath where you dug this hole 
can sink, and then you get a depression around the crown or where the trunk and the root system meet, and then pines basically cannot take wet soil. And so consequently, that's what happened to the first tree that you had. Well, I recommend uh, digging the hole, but I recommend keeping your dirt or whatever material, planting material you're going to use in the garage and keep it somewhat warm. And I just went, I picked a tree up on the 24th and I planted it New Year's Day. Well, that's great. So it's worked the second time. It worked out really well, and the tree's doing really good. Well, sounds perfect. Well, thanks a lot, Barry. Okay, enjoy your show. Yep, and 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. If you have any questions, concerns, or comments, again, going back to the lady who uh, lived in an area which was virtually wooded, uh, leaf debris doesn't really matter at all, so it's not a big deal. If you're living in a circumstance like that, but I'm going back to the you know fact whether you have cool season lawn or you have a warm season lawn, the humidity factor with the fungus with our weather is really detrimental. So to go out, you can go out and rake if you want to. A lot of people blow them and uh, blow them and then pick them up or whatever it happens to be, but just don't let there be a whole lot of leaf debris there. So Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. KMOX Weekend at your service. Sponsored by Air Comfort Service Heating and Cooling. News Radio 1120, KMOX, the voice of the Cardinals. Yes, folks, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Questions, concerns, or comments? We have some phone lines open. Let's head out to St. Charles and see what's going on with Lynn. Hi, Lynn. Good morning. I recently uh, got a Halliburus, I believe it's called, Mm -hmm. at a local market. And it's, I'll tell you, I know they forced it. It's blooming beautifully, white blossoms and all. Uh, it's in about a six-inch pot. Do you have any thoughts on how do I keep this thing alive uh, that I could plant it in the spring? I would say you're better off to get it in the ground now. Okay. So a hellebores right. is a, a perennial. It's like shade. So when I worked at the Botanical Garden, we had a huge area of hellebores in the English Woodland Garden. That's one of the places I worked besides the Climatron. But basically, why it's flowering now, it shouldn't really be flowering now. It usually flowers in February. So they probably, you know, have forced it into flower, consequently, so you could see what the flower would look like. But before I actually plant it, if you want to keep it inside or whatever, put it in front of a cool window for a week or so, so you can just enjoy the flower. But I would probably get it in the ground as soon as you possibly can. Again, a shaded environment has to be a well-drained soil, highly organic soil, and then it will colonize. It'll send some root systems out below the sur- obviously below the surface because of roots, and then the new plants will pop up. Perfect. All right, perfect. That sounds great. Thank you so much. This is the best show on KMOX, let me just say. <laughs> Let's see. Merry Christmas. What's your address so I can send you a check? <laughs> no problem. Thanks so much, Mike. It's a great, great show. Sure. Well, thank you for having me on your show. Let's go over to you Helen's bet. yard. Hi, Helen. Hel- Hi, Mike. Hi. This is Helen. Uh, you were talking about pruning um trees and i have 
actually two spruces, I believe they are, that were bald and burlapped and planted in 19, about 1961 in my front yard. Whoa. Yeah, and uh, there were three, but we had to take one down. But it, at this time of the year, they actually need to be uh, pruned again, but I didn't know going into winter it would be better to wait. Yeah, you know, basically I just don't like to prune pretty much anything other than deciduous trees, you know, going into wintertime. It's just, okay. you know, I mean, you can do, I mean, you say deciduous trees, meaning me, why not deciduous shrubs? Just the trees seem to be able to, you know, handle it a lot better than the shrubs do because a lot of times the shrubs are in, you know, tight situations where uh-huh. they're up close to the house and other things like that or whatever it happens to be. And they're just not as tough as the actual trees are. And that's why I say pruning trees through the wintertime is fine. Taking dead wood out, just pruning, raising, you know, limbing up or whatever it is. But anything else I'd kind of avoid. Okay. Well, thank you for your show. I really appreciate it. And Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. Well, same to you and same to all the listeners, too. I can see as I look out right now, the sun's coming out, so it's going to be a great day. So, it's you know, take the opportunity or the chance to just, you know, head to—I mean, most of the garden centers are open. When the lady said Stark Brothers is not open, I don't know why they're not, but all the local garden centers— and, you know, it's really kind of nice just to walk around. And things could, you know, information-wise, something that you're not uh, you're sure of, of what you want to do or anything else, they can help you because they're not overloaded necessarily with a lot of customers. So they've got time and energy to spend with you and making sure that you can get what you want. There's other situations, too, putting grass seed out. A lady that lives across, kind of diagonal across the street from me, she has a a yard that's got a sweet gum tree as a street tree, and consequently those sweet gum roots run up into her front yard. And probably maybe two to three weeks ago, she put some grass seed out, and uh, she put the straw on it like, you know, classically they always say to do. And the grass seed is probably going to germinate. It has germinated somewhat but it's not going to really be all that successful in that situation. So when you've got a nearby tree, yes, the shade is really important, but what's more important is the root system of the tree competes with any kind of plant material you put there. So that's why it's always advisable to consider maybe not putting a lawn in that situation, but you know, doing the classic kind of ground covers like the ivies, the vincas, and things like that that are the evergreen ground covers as opposed to you can you know use other ground covers that are not necessarily technically ground covers like let's say some of the ferns are not evergreen the hostas lily of the valley those type things really cover the ground really well and then you know some of them will disappear in the winter time so then you just put some mulch but uh in situations like ours in our neighborhood most people their front yards are quite sloped so you have to be somewhat concerned with that. I'm lucky enough that uh, the trees, the sugar maples, the root system of the sugar maples are not adversely impacting my lawn to, you know, to that situation where it makes it difficult for me to grow a lawn in that. I have a warm season lawn. But uh, if you do have any questions or concerns, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Also, if you get a lot of leaf debris in your ivy ground cover, what you can do is just set your mower blade high and just run over the top of it, and that will chop 
you know, the, the leaves, debris that's on top of it, chop it up and it'll fall back down into the ivy. And that shouldn't be, you know, should make it so it works out really well for you. Perennial-wise, uh, the purple, purple comb flowers that I have between my garage and the alley, I've cleaned that out pretty well. And they still have quite a few. I have quite a few of them in there. And consequently, the foliage is still good. It's basically right at the ground level. And the flower stalks, the goldfinches have already come and had most of the, uh, the sun, sunflower seeds. But there's still some that are there. So I just let this whole area colonize itself pretty easily. And I've really taken, a, I put a, originally a plant in there, lemon verbena, because I like the fragrance of the actual verbena. So consequently, it, I didn't realize it was going to be as aggressive as it was. So I've pretty much eliminated all the lemon verbena from the purple coneflower bed. Another thing that I'm growing inside is a rosemary tree. So what I did is I bought it probably a, about a month or so ago. And I just, as far as watering it and anything else, I just watch the inside of the pot when it starts shrinking away. And I lift the pot up and see how heavy it is. And if it starts feeling really light, and then I also watch the growing, the tips of the rosemary. And if I start to see them bend downward, then I realize that it's going to be a situation where they should be watered. And so that's kind of when I want to water. You just make sure with anything like that, your herbs, whether you're growing them inside or outside, some of the herbs are going to be evergreen. So just watch out and don't overwater. And certainly, even inside with your houseplants or anything else, don't do any fertilizing. That's not what they want to have in the wintertime. And if you do fertilize because they're in flower, what you're going to do is fertilize at half the label rate. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes. Great songs. And let's head to the phones and go into Mike's yard. Hi, Mike. Hi. I um, had a couple questions for you. Same subject. I'm thinking about putting in berries, like uh, maybe gold raspberries or blackberries. My first, I know it's the wrong time of year now, so I'm thinking about uh, when would be the best time to plant them. Um, and the other question I have is the same subject, but someone where I had read that you should not put uh, blackberries or raspberries close to one another because they may interbreed or crossbreed, pollinate. Well, they can, but I wouldn't be overly concerned with that. But uh, basically, they have to have a highly organic soil, and uh, they're going to be available at garden centers, bare root type, uh, probably starting maybe as early as mid to late February. And so with bare root plant material, you can get them planted at that time. So you got the whole, you know, basically the next two-plus months to get the soil ready, Fully sunny location, no competition with any kind of tree roots or anything like that. Perfect. Thanks, Mike. Yeah. So, in other words, put about uh, on your existing soil, the plot or whatever, put about three inches of uh, good compost there and then work it into the soil. Don't just, you know, sort of like lay it on top and then try to plant into that. So it should be blended with your existing soil. Let's head over now to Bob's yard. Hi, Bob. Morning, Mike. Hi. Thank you for having me on your show. Sure. 
Uh, I have a fescue lawn, and I have an area. We were talking about ground cover earlier. I have an area that uh, it's quite shaded, and it's near a sweet gum tree. And it's also right in front of my shed where I have a, a ramp that leads up to my shed. So I every time I pull my mower out, I'm going to drive over it. Is there what? Is there a ground cover that you could recommend uh, that would allow me to I'm, I'll walk all over it? And now this is also sloped, so when it rains real hard, uh, there'll be you know it's not a flood that goes down through there, but it gets a significant amount of water running through it. So is there a ground cover in, that would uh, allow me to walk over it? And there's, are there some ground covers you can mow like grass? Well, there are ground covers that you can mow like grass, and there are steppable. So, in other words, that's what they're called. In other words, ground covers that you can walk on, but they can't take, let's say, frequent walking. So it's be like in between an area where maybe somebody would walk across it occasionally, like maybe once a day the mailman would go across something or something along that line. But in your situation, which you're describing, I don't think there's any kind of ground cover that could handle that. But if I was going to try one, I would try a liriope, L-I-R-I-O-P-E, and get the variety spicata, S-P-I-C-A-T-A. That's a spreading type, monkey grass, lily turf, and it doesn't get as tall as the one that's a clump grower. That would be the one I would choose in that situation, and it's still going to have a very difficult time. Okay. Well, what? Will it end up wanting to take over my fescue yard? Uh, I guess it potentially could, but it does spread because it is a ground cover. Any ground cover is going to spread, but I wouldn't be overly concerned with that you know, happening that quick. But uh, it can take shade. It can handle the, you know, the circumstance, the comp- you know, competition with tree roots and everything else. It's the one that they use at various locations at the Botanical Garden in shaded environments and uh, in the Japanese garden as well uh, on the slopes. So it anchors soil really quite well. Okay, would you, I, I got this, I got the variety spell, but would you, would you spell the name again, please? Yeah, L, it's Liriope, L-I-R-I-O-P-E. Okay, all right. All right. Thank you, Mike, and Merry Christmas to you. Well, same to you, and thanks for having me on your show. Let's head now. Let's head now over to Robert's yard. Hi, Robert. Oh, thanks, Mike. Good morning. Um, Good morning. We go inside on you here. I got a rubber plant four years ago when I was in the hospital. Decided to take it home. Thought it would last a, a month or two, but I've had it. I had it four years, and it's still in the same pot, and it's getting out of hand. Um, can you cut those back? Can you root them? What should I do with this thing? Uh, you could take cuttings and root them, but I wouldn't bother doing that. So uh, what size is the pot? It's like 8 inches across. Is it 12 inches across? Is it 6 inches across? It's probably 6 or 8 inches across. Probably what I would do is uh, just go ahead and it needs very sunny location. If there's branches that are, you know, way too much for you, just cut those off entirely. Back to the nearest branch that, or a trunk that it's attached to. And uh, okay. pretty much that's maybe if you're going to pot it up, I wouldn't necessarily do it now. I'd probably wait until we're coming out of winter time when the day's lengths start getting longer. 
put it in a pot that's two inches bigger than the existing pot and use potting mix, not potting soil. Okay. Well, I'm not sure how much longer it's going to last, but it seems to be it, it's green, so it's good, as you say. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Thanks very much. Yeah. So, and apparently, the location you have—I don't know if you have it in front of a sliding glass door, what it is—but it must be the ideal location. And then, ultimately, if you want to, you can start fertilizing it. Of course, you might not want. That doesn't necessarily mean it's going to encourage more growth. It just means it could keep the plant healthier. Let's go over to Dennis's yard now. Hi, Dennis. Hi. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, we're our- our front yard, we have a maple tree that's in the actually the public right of way along the road, uh, but the, the trees continue to get bigger, so the roots have been invading our front lawn, and it, so it both makes it difficult to grow grass as well as to the extent there is grass, the roots protrude above the soil line, uh, making it hard to mow without the mower hitting them. Can I uh, do a stump grinder to grind those roots out? I can't take the tree down because it's in the public right-of-way. Right. What can I do? Uh, basically, there's not really too much you can do, to be honest. A stump grinder is not something, it's a big piece of equipment that you know is brought in to grind a stump out of the ground, not just to cut some roots. So what you could do is just go out there with a hatchet or something like that, or if you have some kind of a let's say some kind of saw or something and just you know, any of the high part of the root, just go ahead and saw that off so you can get your mower over the top of it. But it's, I mean, the roots are going to continue to grow just like they're growing. And basically the feeder roots and all the root system go beyond the stretch of the branches. So wherever the branches are reaching out to, figure that there's ultimately you could end up with some surface roots there and maple trees are just known for surface rooting so this is just their natural habit yeah well we have a whole bunch of them and it's in it's a significant amount that so would take an awful lot of packing or sawing uh, plus the sawing you want to get the very top of it you'd have to really dig around to get down below the side well i'm just saying cut the part off that your mower is going to hit the other option is to just mulch the area I don't know how big it is or what, you know, if you want to do that, or try some traditional ground covers like Baltic, English, Bulgarian-type ivies. Okay. All right. Thank you very much for your help. Sure. Yeah, it's, I mean, that's a tough situation. There's no getting around it. And let's see if we can head over to Gary's yard. Hi, Gary. Good morning. Uh, I've got a couple. Hello? Yes. I've got a couple of uh, golden mop fall cypress that have outgrown their space. They're about four feet in diameter, so the branches are roughly two feet, and there's only foliage on the last two or three inches of the branches. Is there any way to prune those, or am I going to have to take them out? Yeah, you're going to have to take them out. Basically, if you prune them back to the point where there is no, let's say, needles now or whatever, there's not. it doesn't possess the ability to push out any new growth at those spots. So you're That's kind of... That's what I figured. Yeah, so you're I've just kind of i some stuck. people recommend uh, cutting off every third uh, branch, but not all the way back where there's no foliage. But the problem is there must be hundreds of branches. That's a lot of work. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And, you know, to cut back every third branch is not, you know, I mean, it's not, if you start stubbing things back, that's going to cause more problems than it's going to do good. So in other words, if the branch is 10 feet and there's needles only in the last two feet and you cut, you know, cut one foot of that off, for it to be able to produce good, healthy growth at that point, 
that's going to be iffy at best. Okay, well, that's what I figured. Thanks for uh, confirming that. Yeah, unfortunately, that's you know one of the situations. Many times when we pick or when contractors pick trees or shrubs or any kind of plants, we're not you know we're not looking at mature sizes. And that's when, as time goes on, whether we planted them or we inherited them when we bought the house or anything else, we're stuck with a problem that just is beyond belief as far as, you know, potential, you know, trouble. And now when you've got trees the size of what you're speaking of, that tree's going to have to be taken down, which is going to be expensive. The stump's going to have to be ground out. But even grinding the stump out, the root system is going to stay viable for quite a while, for several years beyond that. And that can make it really difficult to plant anything in that space. So just realize that even if you're not planting directly over where the stump is right now, even just, you know, let's say a few feet out or several feet out away, basically as far out as the branches extend, that area is just filled with feeder roots and it's going to make it really difficult for anything to be able to grow. So I want to thank everybody for calling in. I greatly appreciate it. And uh, have a great day. Get out there and enjoy the sun. Mike Miller, KMWash Garden Hotline. See you next week. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com.